Morning, everyone. As you've just heard, and most people know, I'm Andy. So good to be speaking to you today. Uh, Pete, I was talking to Pete yesterday, um, and I was saying there's not been a sermon where I have prepared as much as I have for this one ever before. That's the truth of it. And it's just because it is a very topical um, sermon and I'm just very aware that I want to be leading us in truth and grace. In John 1.14, it says Jesus was full of truth and grace. And that isn't necessarily an easy path to walk down. So I've been preparing a lot. Hopefully I've got some wisdom. Um, I've been reading lots of books. And what I've realized is Some of you might have noticed that on the screen it says that uh, I'm going to be talking about the LGBTQ plus. And you might think, oh gosh, he's made a right error already. What's he done? He's only going to make up the first slide wrong, hasn't he? I've not actually made it wrong. But I did want to put it out there because actually the, the language around this can be offensive to many people. Many people, no matter what you say, will take it as an offense, no matter whether they're in the community of LGBTQ or whether they're outside of the, the community. It can be an offensive topic. And I just want to say, we're family in here, okay? I, I want to be journeying together. If I offend you, I apologize by the language that I use, but I will do my best to not offend but preach truth and grace. Different people have different opinions on same sex, on gay, on this, can I use this, can I use that? I will use the language I've prepared to the best of my ability, um, and hopefully that lands on you. I want to start by reading a story. This is a great book. A guy called Preston Sprinkle wrote it. It's called People to be Loved, Why Homosexuality is Not Just an Issue. And he just begins the book with this. Eric Borges was raised in a conservative Christian home. At a young age, Eric realized he was different. And other kids at school let him know it. He endured relentless and ongoing bullying throughout kindergarten. And the rest of his elementary school years were tarnished with horror. I was physically, mentally, verbally, and emotionally assaulted on a daily basis, recalls Eric. This led to chronic migraines, debilitating depression, suicidal thoughts, and a whole host of other mental and physical problems. My name was not Eric, but Faggot. I was stalked, spit on, and ostracized. On one occasion, he was assaulted in a classroom, and nobody intervened, not even the teacher who was present. Throughout school, Eric was treated like a monster, a subspecies of the human race. I was told that the very essence of my being was unacceptable. I had nowhere safe to go, not even the church. In sophomore year, it's an American book of college, Eric came out to his parents. He told them he was gay. After performing an exorcism on their son, they told him, among other things, that he was disgusting, perverted, unnatural, and damned to hell. Later that year, they kicked him out of the house. Eric shared his story on YouTube in 2011. In the video, he encouraged other youth who had similar experiences that it gets better. 
Having suffered in a hissing cauldron of ridicule and torment, Eric wanted to help others to find comfort and hope to pull them through the pain. One month later, Eric killed himself. I wanted to start with that because I've, as I've prepared, I've read story after story. I've talked to person after person who was re rejected and ostracized and, and not just by the people who were far away from them, but the people who were closest to them. They were ostracized in the church. They were rejected by the church. They were, they were called names. And I just want to say that that is the background we're speaking into today. You know, so while I want to speak truth and grace, I want to do it on a platform of loving people the way God would love people. I want us to be able to act differently. And, and this was in 2011, but I can testify myself that I worked in the housing department locally. And so often we had either pregnant teenagers or gay teenagers show up at the homeless department saying, my parents have kicked me out of the home because I told them I was gay or, and they're Christian and I don't agree with it. It's still going on, still happening today. We need to be different to that. We need to, to hold truth and grace together. We need a better message. We, we need to be like Jesus was. Christians were called Christians because it meant little Christs. They followed after Jesus. Philippians 2 tells us what Jesus was like, and it tells us to be like-minded. tells us that he departed from heaven to come down to earth to walk alongside us. In humility, he came to it. So that's the foundation of what I'm saying. I've left the tea out because next week we have someone who's who's been through a journey of transgenderism, and then come back, and she's going to be speaking on that. But also, it's a slightly different topic. Lesbian, gay, bisexual, and queer um, are um, about attraction, sexual attractions, who you're oriented towards be being attracted to, whereas transgenderism or gender is your inner um, sense of who you are personally, which is why we've separated them out, and they are different topics. There's another thing that goes on in our society, though, and it's this. Oh, I used to think homosexuality was a sin or, or was bad, and then I met some people at work or around, and they were great people and wonderful people, and I, and I loved them, and, and how could God say that they were sinning by living their lifestyle out if it was just who they were? And we, we use... Uh, experience to speak in rather than scripture. Now, I just want to say, some of the funniest, happiest, most joyful people I know are gay. They're very talented. They're creative a lot of the time. Some of my friends, you know, that, that I've enjoyed and loved and, and do still, they're gay. But we can't allow experience to trump what scripture says. And so that's what I'm going to be speaking into today. It's been an adventure going through the scriptures. Uh, I'm going to go there, but let's first watch uh, a guy called David's video. My name's David. I am from Sydney, Australia originally. I was brought up there and then moved over here to study theology at the University of Oxford. And now I work in Oxford, live there, and absolutely love it. It's great. 
you know, I had many, many boyfriends when I was growing up. My search for relationships was really extensive. You know, I started going out to Oxford Street in Sydney, which is the central kind of strip of, of the gay world in, in Sydney, trying to kind of go to clubs and meet people. I think love was a rush. Love was like an intoxication with the other person. And it, it was a kind of escapism really from the context that I was in because I didn't feel accepted. I didn't feel understood. I would primarily define love now that I'm a Christian as self-sacrificial love, the kind of love we see on the cross. And that love is a passionate and romantic love, but it's ultimately first about giving yourself to the other and giving yourself up for the other. And that actually in that you find the most brilliant intimacy there is. The moment I became a Christian was incredible. I first experienced Jesus when I was in a pub in central Sydney in the gay quarter when a girl prayed for me uh, and I just felt this most incredible presence come upon me. It was like tingling, like oil on my head and it, it was just this love that I had never encountered before and I was completely gobsmacked, completely dumbfounded that this was real. It wasn't just a concept. The intimacy I experience with God now, it's like any relationship. There's maintenance, there's things that need to happen. But I think the difference with the relationship with God is that he is always faithful. And I can actually depend on him. And I think that's an incredible security that I have with him that I just wouldn't want to give up for anything. And so I think you can't find that in any other relationship. It's only in that relationship with God that I, I have that. And that, that really helps me to love others better, love others in a deeper way. Of course, I miss romantic relationships. And on some level, I miss sex, yes. But in another sense, not at all. Because actually the search deep down behind sex in our society is a search for intimacy. And when I was having those sexual relationships, I was not finding very profound forms of intimacy. In fact, often that would separate me or distance me from people. So I think I found the intimacy I was looking for in Christ and in, in the church. What I love about being a Christian is that I get to share the most incredible news with people that they don't have to live up to a moral standard, that they don't have to climb this ladder. And I think a lot of people feel condemned and actually I get to share the news with them that they're not condemned when they receive Jesus and they turn away from sin or their old life. They, they're completely accepted, completely loved, completely brought into God's family and that there's no condemnation anymore. I love that. <laughs> so, David Bennett, this is his book. I loved this book. I'm not going to tell you all the bits that I loved. I told the staff team all the bits that I loved and it ruined it for them. So I'm not going to do it for them. There's some moments where God really encounters him uh, when he's really, um, he's an activist actually. He's an activist for the gay uh, community uh, against things like churches and anger and hatred is there. And, but he, he comes to meet the living Lord Jesus and it's just glorious. Jesus just chases after him. What I want to do, I want to go through some scripture because I think that is where truth is. You know, it's not in anything else, it's in scripture. So let's, let's go straight to scripture. I want to go to Matthew 19. 
And I'm going to try and answer some questions that are going on around and then bring scripture in as well and mix them together. Hopefully it works. So Matthew 19, 3 to 6. This is Jesus. So some Pharisees came up to him and tested him. Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered them, you have not read that he, have you not read? So that just, let me pause on that. Have you not read? I feel like before I spent all this time preparing this talk, I had not read and I had not delved and I did not know because I did not know scripture. And I feel that's what Jesus is saying. The NLT says it like that, but, but in the ESV it just says, have you not read? But I think there's an accusation from Jesus to the people who should know their scripture. Do you know your scripture? Have you not read? Do you not know? That's a challenge. He answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. Okay, so we just have to pause on that. So Jesus isn't addressing homosexuality directly in this conversation. But what he is doing is he's giving a sexual ethic of what he believes. He's interpreting Genesis 1 and 2 into a, a time when he was on the earth. And what he says is actually, he says there's a, a designer is the message behind this. It's a creative narrative. So there is a designer and a creator who made things the way that they should be. And this is the way that they should be. Jesus didn't, to answer the question on divorce, Jesus didn't need to include that God made them a male and female. He didn't need to say God made them male and female. He could have just said a man and a woman joined together. I think Jesus draws on some verses in, um, in Genesis. We've got some music in the background. To say that actually, no, there is a design and this is the way that design is. And it is that marriage is one man, one woman coming together. And that is where union happens. It's where sex happens. And that is the design of the creator and the designer. I think overall, that is what Jesus is teaching here. And I think it's important that we remember that it is in a big narrative. So there's only a couple of verses that touch on the topic directly. I said this doesn't touch on it directly. But there's a narrative overall that there's a designer who is God who made things to work in a certain way. And he made it so that male and female would be similar. So that they, there's in creation account, it's quite interesting. God takes Adam around the garden before he's created Eve. And he says, is there any animals that would fit you as a partner? <laughs> Thankfully, there wasn't. Um, <laughs> But then he says, I'm going to make you a helper. So he, he makes them a helper who was similar to him. And it says that God made male and female in God's image. Every man and woman is made in God's image and reflects the glory of God in some way. But he also made them different. And it says that he made them unique from one another, male and female. And you can tell by the way that they're made that they interlock and the design works well. It also has a, a message of actually sex and the purpose behind sex. If there's a designer, then there's probably a purpose behind sex. 
And it's not just pleasure, and it's not just intimacy, but it is to procreate. That's not to say it's not for pleasure, but that's a different talk. But it is for procreation and for pleasure together, and for intimacy. Did Jesus say anything else? I'm going to move quite quickly, so make a note of these Bible verses, because I, I, I really want you to search it. Mark 7, verse 20 to 23. It says this. Jesus said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within, and they defile a person. And you can see that Jesus mentioned sexual immorality in the middle of it. Where would he get his interpretation of what sexual immorality was from? Well, similarly to how he described marriage, he went back to Genesis. He would be defining sexual immorality from Old Testament law. And you go back to Leviticus 18. And in the midst of Leviticus 18, 22, it says this, You shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. An abomination. And then Levit Leviticus 20, verse 13. If a man lies with a male, as with a woman, both of them have committed an, an abom abomination. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood is upon them. Now, I've just read two verses which I've taken out of Levit Le Leviticus 18 and 20, but I put more on there because I want you to see that actually it's not just singled out on its own, but actually there's an inclusion of other sexual acts which are also immoral. We also have adultery is listed there. If you commit adultery, it's the same punishment, it's the same treatment, it's the same it's sexual immorality, so that's included within what Jesus is saying here. He's saying that, actually, don't be sexually immoral. And he brings his definition from Leviticus 18 and 20. I think something interesting I've learned over um, time is I've been trying to process how do, you, how do you bring Old Testament through to New Testament? How do you um, speak in through, through that? And So Acts 15, it talks about um, the, we're under grace now, right? So Jesus died on the cross. We're under grace. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. So what, what does it mean that it says in Leviticus? What does it mean that Jesus talks about Leviticus? What, what does that mean? Does it mean anything? Well, Jesus lent on it. But also in Acts, when the early church was born and, and the um, Gentiles had just got the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit had been poured upon them. And the church was like, the church which was predominantly Jewish at the time was like, can the Holy Spirit really be poured out on the, Jew, on the Gentiles? And so they came together and you get Peter and James and the Pharisees and all the church leaders of the time coming together to, to have this conversation about. And the Pharisees were like, okay, yeah, they can receive the Spirit, but they also need to be circumcised. They need to be this. They need to be that. And at the end, there's a decision that is made. Whereas, actually, no, they don't need to be circumcised because Jesus fulfills the purity rules. 
the purity rules of scripture, he has died on the cross, his blood pays, pays the price for, for purity. But they say this at the end. The Jerusalem Council, um, have I not got the verses? I'm going to read it here. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God to get circumcised, to fulfill animal sacrifices, to... But we should write to them to abstain from the things that polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. For from ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he is read every Sabbath in the synagogues. So the early church, although they took out the purity, they kept in the morality of sexuality. It was important to them that they kept that in there. It's interesting, isn't it? I find it interesting. I found that that was one of those moments like, oh, wow, that's really, really helpful that that's what the, the church thought. So what the church brought through was Jesus' teaching, but what Jesus brought through was Moses' teaching. Does Paul have anything to say on the matter? Paul does have something to say on the matter. Romans 1, and I'm going to start actually from verse 18 to 32. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For, the, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power, his divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they were, are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honour him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools." and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up to the lusts of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonouring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonourable passions." For the women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves a due penalty for their error. And since they did not, fit to acknowledge, they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with an all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. That's describing all of us, by the way, this, this last section. Though they know God's righteousness, righteous decree, that those who practice such things deserve to die. They not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. 
This is one of the um, key, key uh, passages on this, so Romans 1. Um, and I like the fact that actually it's, again, in a creative narrative. So it's Paul relating back to creation again. And he's talking about the creator and the creator. He's talking about design. He's talking about the fact that we were designed. And part of that design was to worship God and to not have idols. So there's a creative narrative, but there's also a worship and kind of design narrative. But there's also a gospel narrative that goes through them. Let's just touch on the verses where it specifically mentions. So the verses where it says, for this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passions for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. If you hear what it says, it says they exchanged natural relations and if you put that in the creative narrative, then it's not talking about how I feel. It's not talking about what I feel within me. It's not, feel, it's not talking about whether that started at birth or whether it, it started later in life, whether it's from natural or, or, or from um, what you've learned. It's saying here, God has created an order, a natural order of things. And he's saying that actually this goes against natural order. He says it's about creation and creative narrative again. I think it's interesting that Paul speaks about it in this big picture. Because it's not just about me and it's not just about my actions, but it's about the whole of creation and the order of things. Some people say that this is just for certain relationships. That Paul's just talking into relationships where there was um, a power imbalance, or there was rape, or um, there was um, men having sex with boys, which was frequent in those days. But there's nothing in the language of Romans 1 which suggests that that would be the case. I think there's a few things that point that. Although it would be uh, seen natural in some Roman culture for, and Greek culture for men to have sex with boys, it wouldn't have been natural for women to have sex with younger women. And it wouldn't have been a natural uh, power imbalance in that relationship. And yet Paul points to, to women and to men at this point. But also it connects with the rest of scripture. The, the teaching in Leviticus isn't, isn't related to anyone other than just the relation. So having sex is the action that is the sin in there. And it doesn't say this type of relationship or that type of relationship. And actually in Leviticus 20, it talks about both parties being culpable and deserving the penalty. 
which would suggest that it wasn't a power imbalance relationship that Paul and Moses and Jesus is engaging with. I just want to touch on something. Can you be born gay? And is that a problem with scripture? I agree with you, Maria. I think you can be born gay. I think when you... I think people I've talked to and I've heard their testimonies, there's never been a time when they've not known the attraction to the same sex as them. Many people are like that. So I think, yes, you can be born gay. And I don't think that is a problem in Scripture. Because I think Scripture teaches that we're all born under the first Adam. We're all born with uh, parts of us which don't necessarily match up with God's word. We're all born with difficulties. Maybe I've got a propensity towards anger. Maybe I've got a propensity towards violence. Maybe I've got a propensity towards being arrogant. Maybe, maybe that's just within me from the very beginning. Maybe that is there. Maybe I've got a propensity to be, to be more lustful than other people. Maybe that's within me from the beginning. And I think because of the fall narrative, because of the story of the fall, we're all born with things within us which are fallen. Each and every one of us. So I don't think that's necessarily a problem. But the question is, what do you do with that? So our culture would teach, it's wrong for you to expect someone who's attracted to the same sex as them to not pursue that lifestyle. They'd say that that is a repressive thing. You are repressing someone and that it is wrong for you to put that expectation on them. I want to say that I think it could be repressive. And I think the church has acted in a repressive way in the past. And I think that story is proof of it. But I don't actually think it's a sin to be same-sex attracted. I don't think that's a choice people are making. I think that there, there is something within people that makes them same-sex attracted. I don't think that's the sin. But it does say here that actually when the sin is born and it carries on and develops and you go down that road, then you are entering into sin. Jesus says this. He says that you should deny yourself to take up your cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life and lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And in Romans 8, it says this. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if, you, but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your body, you will live. 
I think we as a church need to be open to conversation with people. We need to be welcoming people. We need to be saying, okay, let's talk. Let's have these conversations. Let's, let's, let's not repress something of an emotion within you. That isn't what Scripture teaches. Scripture teaches that actually you should come to one another and you should talk to one another about the things you struggle with. You should then open it up and pray with one another and be brothers and sisters and you should be caring for one another and carrying each other's burdens. But the Scripture does teach that actually if you go after the things of the flesh the way that you're feeling, then actually that's leading to death, not to life. And in David's testimony, he says, actually, when, when he was pursuing the lifestyle, it led to death. It led to him feeling less intimate. It led to him feeling less connected with people. It, it led to that side. Whereas, actually, God says, come to me, and I will give you life, and life abundantly. We can't allow our sexuality to become an idol, we can't allow it to be something that we worship in place of God. And that's what Romans is getting at here. It says you're putting your sexuality, your sex needs, above your worship of God. Whereas actually Jesus says, no, deny yourself. Deny yourself and come and worship me. And I will give you life and life abundantly. And I think that's not just a call on, on gay people, but it's a call on everybody. There's moments when you need to deny yourself to be a follower of Jesus, to worship him with your whole being, to love him with all of who you are. And in that is where you find life and life abundance. Don't repress emotion. Speak to people. There's probably people in here who feel same-sex attracted. There's prob probably that here. And you're probably doing that difficult journey. Don't do it alone. Don't allow people around you to do it alone. Do it in partnership. Do it in love. Do it in grace. There's two other verses, Romans... Uh, sorry, I'm not going to go into them, but 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and 1 Timothy 1, 1 Timothy 1, 10, I think it is. Romans 1 is encased in a gospel message. The message, Romans 1, 16 to 18. can't believe I've not got it here says, the gospel is good news to all who believe. Everyone who believes. The gospel is good news for everyone who believes. That's what it says directly before it says this narrative. Romans 2 then teaches that actually all of us should not be putting ourselves in a place of judgment. Saying, who are you to judge anyone else? Who are you to judge anyone else? You're not the judge. There's this gospel narrative around these difficult verses. And the gospel is good news. The gospel is good news. The gospel is good news for 
everyone who believes it. So what do we do? First of all, I think it's our job to, to not place ourselves as judge. There's been a few uh, gay people who, who've come to Trinity or same-sex attracted people who've come to Trinity. And I've met with them and we've spoken. And to my shame, they haven't come back after those conversations. That's the truth of it. So I just like, God, teach me how do I love people well? How do I love people well? I heard one fantastic thing, actually. You know, David Bennett, actually, his story. Someone went into a nightclub, a gay nightclub, and prayed for him. And he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit filled him and transformed his life, took him on a journey that changed him forever. There's a, a lady called Rosario Butterfield. She's got a great book out there as well. Um, but her testimony is that she just, you know, she was also someone acting out and, and really rallying against it. She was an activist for, for uh, LGBTQ and LGBTQ people. She started reading the scripture and then she she met a Christian, and what did that Christian do? Did he turn to Romans 1 and say, well, actually, no, come on. No, he took her into his house with his family, and he included her and invited her in. They had dinner together week after week. They did life together. They spoke about scripture. They argued. They, they did all of this stuff. And she said that just transformed her life. She met Jesus because someone had loved her enough to look past something of a sin, to include her in family. Jesus' promise when it says that you should deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me, is that you will have more brothers and sisters in this world now and houses than what you have in the world to come. Anyone who gives up relationships will have that as a promise. But that promise is speaking about us as a church. It's speaking about the church being family and brothers and sisters. And the scripture doesn't describe us as being like a family. It describes us being a family. It describes us being a family joined together. We have to be family. We have to love people. We have to have conversations. Something I heard quite well was that just listen to their story. There's this woman I listened to. I've forgotten her name. I couldn't find the podcast again. But she just said, if anyone asks me what the Bible tells, says about homosexuality, about, about gay relationships, I just say to them, I'll, I'll tell you that. I will tell you that. But first of all, we've got to have coffee for the next four weeks and get to know each other. I've got to hear your story. I've got to hear where you're coming from. I've got to, got to know who you are. And at that point, maybe we'll have a relationship where we can then talk about this. And I think that's the better way, actually. The better way is getting to know people, loving them, befriending them, hearing their story, hearing their hurts, saying sorry to them if it's, the, if it's you or the church that has hurt them. Journeying with one another, loving one another deeply, being like Christ. What happened in John 8 when the people caught in adultery were brought to Jesus? 
What happened? It wasn't actually the people. It was the woman. Naughty. That's what Jesus said. Whoever is without sin, pick up the first stone. And eventually everyone dropped the stone. The woman was just stood there with Jesus. Jesus, the only person who could have stoned her because he was completely pure and innocent from everything. Neither do I condemn you. Now go and leave your life of sin. That was the call that Jesus made on her. But in love, she then exploded with the joy of the gospel. Let's not be people who throw rocks. Let's not be people who hold rocks. Let's not be people who who desire that. Let's be people who, who want to win people's hearts and minds with the love of Christ Jesus. Let's be in relationship with people. Let's have people over to dinner. Let's know that we're weak and broken and are only alive today because Christ stepped in and died for us. Let's be those people. Let's be those people who, who say, actually, this is good news for everyone who believes. Let's preach the gospel. Let's hear stories. Let's do life in this world and let grace flow from us. But I would say it would be wrong to go away from the truth of what Scripture teaches. And I, I've tried to read the words and think the, on the different arguments that come against because there's a big movement of actually, actually, no, it's not a sin. It's not actually talking about this. It's talking about that. It's talking, there's a big movement even within the church that says these things. But I don't actually think that's the most loving way. I just don't. Because if Jesus said it, if Paul said it, if it's in God's word, I believe that the loving way is to draw people to say, actually, no, Jesus is more important and greater. And he has purpose and passion for you. I want to pray for us. I won't have covered everything. I won't have touched the sides. I won't have pleased everyone. There is so much to be learning. And I'm still learning and the process I'm going on, I'll put together a document of all the things I've listened to, all the books I've read, and I'll I'll share it with the church. Uh, Maybe if you have something that you've listened to, I can add. I'm still listening. I'm still hearing. We're still listening. Let's journey together because there's a big community of people who need the love of Jesus who need the love of Jesus who need the church to know who we are we're God's people on this earth today to bring his kingdom cool let me pray can I pray for us all can we stand Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Hey, Jesus, I just want to start by repenting, Lord Jesus, for when I've stood in judgment over someone else instead of loving them, Lord. I want to start by saying sorry for where I've not loved people well enough Lord Jesus, the way that you would love them. And I pray that you would transform our hearts, Lord Jesus, to love people the way that you would love. Lord God, give us us faith, Lord Jesus. Give us boldness. Give us 
Give us compassion for people, Lord Jesus, the way that you had, Lord. I pray that each one of us would have stories, Lord Jesus, of stepping into people's lives, Lord. I pray that we would be a family here together, Lord Jesus, that we'd carry one another's burdens, but we'd also go out into the world and, and talk to people carrying burdens and we'd bring your kingdom, Lord Jesus. Lord God, let our hearts break for what your heart breaks for, Lord Jesus. Let us love people, Lord Jesus, the way that you love people, Lord. I pray for a spiritual move now, Lord Jesus, of your power upon us, Lord Jesus, to remove any fear of this conversation, Lord Jesus, any anxiety of this conversation, Lord Jesus. I pray that you would remove it, Lord God. I thank you that your perfect love takes out fear, Lord Jesus. So I pray now that each one of us would be released from that fear, Lord Jesus. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would pour your spirit upon us, Lord Jesus, that we would be a, a flowing river to this world that needs you, Lord Jesus. Each and every person that needs you, Lord Jesus. I pray that your gospel would be on our lips, Lord Jesus. Come in your mighty power amongst your people, Lord. In your precious name, Jesus. Amen.